How to Train Your Dragon by Cressida Cowell is a book series about a young boy named Hiccup who fights terrifying dragons the size of mountains, an evil witch, a mean man who can't stop ruining everyone's day, and, most importantly, the patriarchy. Hiccup is a member of the hairy hooligan tribe of Vikings on the cold and boggy Isle of Burke. The hooligans are tough, and they pride themselves on their fighting abilities, wild nature, loose relationship to the rules, and their ability to tame ferocious dragons. They mock the civilized Romans who can read and live in places that aren't constantly freezing. Very quickly, we see how the hooligans fit into traditional ideas of what masculinity is, albeit in exaggerated and fantastical ways. Although, now that I think about it, there are men in Florida who wrangle alligators, so maybe How to Train Your Dragon isn't as exaggerated as I thought. Burke suffers from a highly patriarchal social system, just as our own world does. Patriarchy refers to the disproportionate amount of power held by cisgender men in society at the expense of others, and the social, political, and economic structures that uphold and maintain this power imbalance. I'm not well-versed in feminist theory or feminist geographies, but essentially, traditionally defined men set the rules and are able to benefit at the expense of those outside of that definition. This occurs in a number of ways. For example, women in the workplace make less money for performing the same job as men. Violence against women is still pervasive in our society. Access to health care is being attacked in places like Texas. We have seen the murder rate among trans people increase since 2016. And, in my own experience as a non-binary person, I'm often disregarded by men and constantly being told by them to man up and be tough. A number of men have criticized my choice of hairstyle, telling me I'll never have a job or make anything of my life because of it. A bald man once told me I was damaging my hair by dyeing it, and that I should stop. I like to think he was just jealous. Patriarchy regulates what we all are allowed to look like, how we can dress, what jobs we have, how successful we can be, how we are supposed to behave, and what spaces we have access to. The list goes on and on. We are all hurt by it. Even men who don't fit society's idealized notion of masculinity suffer, as we will learn by looking at the experience of Hiccup. The way that I want to explore patriarchy in the How to Train Your Dragon books is by looking at the different leadership styles of Hiccup and his father, Stoic the Vast. Stoic is the chief of the Hairy Hooligans, and Hiccup, spoiler alert, becomes the king of what is either the Wilder West or, in my mind, the Wilder West. Either way. But he becomes the king in the last book. Stoic is a wonderful character and a truly great father, but he makes a lot of mistakes and awful choices along the way. He is, for the most part, stuck within the framework of patriarchy, and, unlike Hiccup, is unable to see a way out. Hiccup isn't a revolutionary at first, but he quickly realizes that Viking life is unnecessarily brutal, and pushes back at it from an early age. In this episode, I'll talk more specifically about the patriarchal system and toxic masculinity of the barbaric archipelago where Hiccup grew up, how Hiccup begins to fight the patriarchy, and how he ultimately is able to show everyone, Viking and Dragon, a better, 
happier, and more equitable path forward. My name is Peter, and you're listening to Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons. Part 1. Death or Exile The very first book begins with Hiccup, his friend Fishlegs, and the other boys their age starting the Dragon Initiation Program. They all are standing in the snow preparing to scale a cliff in order to reach a cave where they will steal their very own hunting dragon, a small dragon that will help them catch fish and other small game. The Dragon Initiation Program is described by Gobber the Belch, the big, tough Viking leading the program, as a military operation. Keep in mind that these kids are around 12 years old at this point. Not only is it a military operation, but a test to see if the kids are allowed to join the tribe. If they fail to catch and train a hunting dragon of their own, they get exiled. This is done in order to ensure that the tribe remains physically strong. As Gobber explains, the hairy hooligan tribe has no use for failures. Only the strong can belong. The strong that Gobber refers to is very specific. The Vikings pride physical strength. Not just physical strength, but the kind of reckless, loud, berserk type of attitude that comes along with it. Men often physically take up more space. They are loud and are trained to go for what they want, often without asking. This is what the Vikings are taught through the Dragon Initiation Program. Though Gaber is the teacher in charge of the program, he spends most of the time actually yelling at his students and perpetuating harmful stereotypes. He threatens the students who speak over him with the prospect of eating rations of limpets for three weeks. He signals out Hiccup, the smallest of the group, as being useless to the rest of the kids. He jokes about kids being eaten by dragons, and says that anyone who fails would be idiotically stupid. A caring and positive environment? This is not. Gobber isn't providing support or uplifting good behavior, but is publicly shaming kids and forcing them into an incredibly dangerous situation. Finally, just to emphasize the insanity of this system, Before all the boys head out to find their dragons, Gobber declares, Death or glory. Hiccup can't help but think the only thing he can actually achieve in this program is death. When a child in your care believes himself to be useless and fully expects to fail in this way, and failure is ultimately death, the teacher is doing something wrong. Burke is a harsh place to live already and the expectations of the tribe make it even harsher. These expectations are distinctly masculine, not in the sense that this is what men are innately like, but that this is how men are often raised to be. We associate manliness with things like sports, lifting a lot of weight, and being reckless. Women are timid and delicate, but men are tough and can break things. Even something we all have, emotions, are gendered. Everyone feels a wide spectrum of emotions throughout their lifetime. And yet, if a man were to show an emotion like sadness in a public way, 
such as by crying in the presence of others, he is suddenly declared as being girly or a wimp. He should just man up and tough it out. These phrases, by the way, all have scare quotes around them. People aren't allowed to simply exist as they are, but are guided to certain quote-unquote acceptable ways of performing their gender. Patriarchy restricts everyone to certain gendered behaviors as a way of maintaining power. It is so much easier for men to maintain power if half of the population is trained to believe that they are lesser and unsuited for the roles that men have given themselves in society. For the hairy hooligans of Burke, this power is largely physical. Brutes like Snotlout, who are big and have a lot of muscle, are given power, while small boys like Hiccup are shoved to the side. If the Vikings prized open communication skills, then Hiccup would be positioned much higher than Snotlout. But the things that patriarchy chooses to value most highly are the things that benefit men like Snotlout the most. Patriarchy doesn't exist all on its own. It is crafted by men seeking to maintain power over others. Now, you may be wondering why I am discussing patriarchy when Hiccup is the victim in these books. Again, patriarchy harms everyone, including individuals who define themselves as men. Hiccup doesn't fit into the exact model for the ideal man in the eyes of his fellow Vikings, and so he is ridiculed and bullied relentlessly. But he isn't the only victim. In the next section, I'll discuss how the dragons are victimized as well. As for women, there are exceptionally few women in these books. There is no dragon initiation program for the young girls of Burke. Indeed, the young Vikings often ridicule each other for behavior that they consider to be girly. For example, at one point, Hiccup is faced with the prospect of challenging Snotlout to a fight. Hiccup reminds the reader that if you became known as a coward in the hooligan tribe, you might as well go the whole hog and wear a pale pink jerkin, take up playing the harp, and change your name to Ermintrude. There's nothing inherently wrong with wearing pink or having a feminine name, but the Vikings view anything associated with what we often consider to be feminine as bad. As for older Vikings, Hiccup's mom spends most of the books going on adventures by herself. One of the villains is a witch who seeks power not for her, but for her son. There is an entire tribe of women, but their characterization is also coded as masculine. In a lot of ways, this reflects how women often aren't taken seriously unless they act like men. The tribe of women is allowed to compete with the other tribes because of how closely they conform to the standards set for men. They also train their warriors to belch loudly and punch hard. None of the women do anything that fits within the framework of femininity. Though they are the exception in that the tribe identifies as women, the way that they participate in Viking culture demonstrates just how much patriarchy has shaped what it means to be a member of a tribe in the barbaric archipelago. Part 2. Training Your Dragon Now that we've established how patriarchy has structured Viking society in the books, let's take a closer look at some of the dragons and how the Vikings go about training them. After all, this is a book about training dragons, 
and we on Determination, Deliberation, and Dragons really love dragons. The main goal of the Dragon Initiation Program is for a recruit to steal a dragon to turn into his own personal hunting companion. Dragons are something to be possessed. Gobber claims that our dragons are what set us apart. It is only the Viking heroes who dare to tame the wildest, most dangerous creatures on Earth. We see that dragons in and of themselves are unimportant. What matters is what they signify about the Vikings. Even the species of dragon says something about the boy who manages to capture it. The bigger and more dangerous the dragon, the more power a boy can claim. Indeed, one dragon, the monstrous nightmare, is only permitted to be owned by the chief's son. Snotlout, Hiccup's cousin, captures a monstrous nightmare and uses it to assert his own authority and attempt to wrestle power away from the meeker Hiccup. The type of dragon you own and what you are able to train it to do impacts how you are viewed within the tribe, as well as by outsiders. Dragons aren't beings with their own interests and goals, they're property that signify the value of their owner, at least in the framework of Vikings. The dragons have their mobility and autonomy restricted, while the Vikings expand their own access to resources and positions in society. The act of training a dragon reflects the overt patriarchy of the Viking tribes. Dragons are trained by shouting at them. Gobber the Belch, head of the program, explains that training a dragon is a test of the force of your personality. He continues, saying, You will assert your will over this wild creature and show it who is master. Your dragon will be expected to obey simple commands such as go, and stay, and hunt fish for you in the way that dragons have hunted for the sons of Thor since anybody can remember. There's even a book that the Vikings refer to, which is also called How to Train Your Dragon, that offers all young Vikings advice on training their dragons. It states that the golden rule of dragon training is, yell at it. Men in this series are quite literally trained to be loud and take up space in order to subdue others. In our world, there isn't a book telling us to yell at others, but behavior like this is celebrated when we do things like cheer on fights at a hockey game, or elect a president who talks over everyone, encourages physical violence, and yells at reporters and politicians when they give even a hint of disloyalty. The young boys in the Dragon Initiation Program are taught to act in the very same way, using their physical strength enforcing their way to dominance over others. Hiccup doesn't train his dragon through yelling. At first, this isn't because he recognizes the flaws of this particular training strategy. He just can't be loud enough. But as he begins to explore alternative methods of training, he quickly realizes that he can create a different sort of bond with his dragon. Hiccup names the dragon Toothless and begins training him by talking with him letting him sleep in the bed, feeding him sausages and lobster, scratching his back, and even telling him jokes. Hiccup doesn't assert his own will over Toothless, but instead treats him kindly. It is still unfortunate that Hiccup continues to keep Toothless rather than allow the dragon to live out in the wild, 
but I suppose that would make for an extremely short book. While training through kindness doesn't immediately work on Toothless, he prefers to do things his own way, it does eventually pay off. As early as the first book, Toothless saves Hiccup. A giant sea dragon arrives on the shores of Burke, intent on eating the Vikings. All the other dragons flee, but Toothless stays behind. When Hiccup is swallowed by the dragon, Toothless bravely flies up the larger dragon's nostril, forcing it to sneeze the small boy out. Toothless claims to not know why he stayed behind to help Hiccup. But the implication is that, after being shown some kindness, he decided to reciprocate by saving Hiccup's life. It is the beginning of a new method of leadership for the Harry Hooligan tribe. Hiccup isn't the chief yet, but he is next in line, and his connection with Toothless isn't lost upon the other boys in the Dragon Initiation Program. Hiccup's grandfather suggests that it might be just what this tribe needs, a change in leadership style. Because the thing is, times are changing. We can't get away with being bigger and more violent than everybody else anymore. A hero of the future is going to have to be clever and cunning, not just a big lump with overdeveloped muscles. Hiccup begins to learn that there are other ways to exist, that physical strength and toughness aren't necessarily the qualities the Vikings should hold most dear. A hundred big, scary, yelling men couldn't save the day, but a small boy and his small dragon could. Part 3. Words Change Everything By the end of the 12-book lawn series, things in the barbaric archipelago have changed drastically. Hiccup is no longer an initiate in the dragon training program, but a king leading his people in a war between Vikings and dragons. Leading the dragons is the supersized C. Dragonus Giganticus Maximus, aka Really Big Dragon, named Furious. The last book certainly has its fair share of action, but the final fight between Hiccup and Furious is largely a debate. Only a few actual blows are delivered. They primarily discuss the state of the world and what it might look like if the two leaders were to commit to the sort of peace that Hiccup proposes. It is fitting that the title is How to Fight a Dragon's Fury, the main enemy isn't the dragon himself, but the fury that he has felt for the last 100 years and the system set up that cultivated that fury. The only way to win is together. This is in stark contrast to how the hairy hooligans tried to defeat the very same species of dragon in the first book. When Stoic learns that a sea dragon washed up on the shores of Burke, he assembles the Vikings in the village, and together they all yell as loud as they can, at the dragon from the top of a cliff. Needless to say, it doesn't work. But Stoic and the other Vikings can't even imagine a different response to their predicament. The only tool they have is yelling and attempting to assert their will over the dragon. When Hiccup finally faces the dragon furious, he tries over and over again to speak to the dragon, despite having a powerful jewel that can cause the end of all dragons in a moment if he chose to use it. He repeatedly asks if Furious will allow him to speak, explaining that words change everything. 
He has seen how learning to speak the language of dragons and actually talking with them can lead to partnerships built on trust and respect. Through the entire war between Vikings and dragons, Hiccup's own dragons have stuck with him despite the fact of his humanity. While there are still troubling elements of the depiction of willing and happy servants, and the use of slavery as it is used in the books is an issue that deserves to be unpacked on its own much more thoroughly, on a very basic level, Hiccup is showing us that by moving away from patriarchy and dominance over others, by positioning yourself so that others can take up space and speak up and be heard, by speaking to rather than yelling at, a more just society can be attained. It isn't a perfect depiction, and Hiccup is absolutely presented as a white savior, which is awful. Multiculturalism and the use of slavery as a metaphor are much more complicated issues within the realm of literary criticism that I don't have the experience to talk about with any authority. My goal certainly isn't to separate these aspects of the books. I would like to think that we can, at the very least, learn from Hiccup how to take a step back and to allow others to be heard. He has the power to annihilate the dragons, to dominate the other side, to be seen as a hero by all the Vikings in the archipelago, but he chooses not to use that power. By willingly giving up the power to harm others, he finds that the people and dragons around him are all able to lead more fulfilling lives. I want to end this section by pointing to the way in which Hiccup hopes the Vikings and dragons will operate following the end of the war. The dragon Furious departs for the ocean, signifying the departure of Fury itself. The main villain, who I really didn't talk about all that much, Alvin the Treacherous, a human who did his best to stoke that fury, has probably died. Everyone else is feasting and singing. Fishlegs, Hiccup's best friend, suggests that he may start a new tribe with the motto, Be of good cheer, all welcome here. Again, notions of a peaceful, multi-ethnic, or cultural state are very complicated, and vague notions of inclusion are actually ways of avoiding it. For example, the racist slogan, All Lives Matter. True equity requires addressing the ways in which disenfranchised groups and people have been harmed and working to heal those specific harms. Within the context of a children's book and the idea of patriarchy, the movement towards giving up power and allowing the larger population of the barbaric archipelago to step forward and claim it shows how the patriarchy can be fought. Hiccup suggests that this is exactly how he wants to rule as king. Rather than uphold the old rules in which anyone who failed the dragon initiation test was exiled, he plans on broadening the idea of what it means to be a Viking. Those who were exiled under the old rules wouldn't have been cast out in this new context. Rather than give power only to the physically strong, the tribes would cultivate the talents of everyone. By giving up one type of power, Hiccup is increasing the power of everyone. Conclusion the trap of patriarchy is that it suggests that it has power to offer. Men claim that power and use it to ensure their own positions in society while denying others the same basic rights and dignity that they have. In our world, patriarchy certainly isn't reversed by a single individual 
who, as a king, mind you, decides to give up some of his power. Strong institutions are needed to ensure that power is distributed equally. But, on a very basic level, Hiccup demonstrates a way that we can begin to address these issues in our own lives. He shows us that lowering our voices doesn't mean that we aren't heard anymore, but that we are now part of a conversation with more people. Taking up less space doesn't mean disappearing completely, but allows other people to appear. These issues are much more complicated than they are presented in the book, as I alluded to earlier. Again, this is a book for children complete with pictures, really good pictures I might add. There's no way a single book can possibly address all the issues in the world in a really comprehensive way. I do think that it teaches children valuable lessons in disrupting the patriarchy in our own everyday lives. Flying on dragons is incredible. Fighting the patriarchy is great. Hiccup shows us how to accomplish both.